Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. I invite you to be seated. Well, happy Christ the King. Aren't you excited? It's the last day of the liturgical last Sunday of the liturgical year. Did you know that? It is. It's the last Sunday of the liturgical year, and it's a setup for the season of Advent. In fact, the last two Sundays and this Sunday sometimes are called pre-Advent. They're getting us ready to go into Advent. And this Sunday does that. It kind of it kind of caps off the whole Christian year and says this whole journey beginning Advent last year leads to one truth. Jesus is King. And then it sets up what's coming because Advent, that word means coming, it's about the coming of the King. We, we enter into the story of Israel and kind of long with them for the first coming of Jesus, but also we think about the second coming of Jesus. Next Sunday, first Sunday of Advent, we'll talk about the second coming. And then we, we think about his coming into our lives now. And if you're new to the tradition, one thing you'll pick up on, though, though we cheat a little bit here, is it won't be Christmas yet here. Now, now Mixmas is going on. I've been listening to it, in fact. I'm okay with that. But here, it's Advent. And we'll, we'll sort of ease into a couple carols, but then by the time we get to Christmas Eve, it will really be Christmas. But today, today is Christ the King, where we remember the truth that Jesus is Right now, King of Kings, Lord of Lords, Lord in glory. And to get into that, I want to look at our Colossians passage. This is a beautiful passage. In fact, the second half is where I want to zero in. Verses 15 through 20. And you might have noticed, if you're reading closely, that it, it kind of has a rhythm and, and, a, and a sort of structure to it. A lot of people think it may have been a poem that Paul adapted. Maybe it's a hymn that was sung. Or maybe he just wrote it this way. But it's, a, it's an expression of praise to Jesus Christ. And it's all about inviting us to see Jesus Christ. And Paul knows that we need to see Jesus Christ if we're going to follow Jesus Christ and trust Jesus Christ and be faithful to Jesus Christ. Because you see, the Colossians are struggling with those very questions. They were facing challenges from their culture Part of their culture was what we call the pagan culture. Literally, the people worshipped other gods, the Roman pantheon. And kind of trying to get them to, to kind of have a foot in Christianity and a foot in that world. And Paul's saying, we can't do that. And then there were other folks that were struggling with another part of the culture. And it was probably fellow believers who had a Jewish background, but were still confused about what parts of the old covenant crossed into the new and what parts didn't. And kind of trying to hold people accountable for things that we've been set free from. And Paul's answer, and really the Holy Spirit's answer to us, is you got to get Jesus. Jesus has answered all those questions. And to get seriously clear about who Jesus is right now, in his glory, in his majesty, in his kingship, is the way to guard yourself from falling into those kinds of things. So let's dive in. The way this passage is structured is it's structured around the repetition of four words. 
Those four words each time are translated into two words in English. It's this, he is. You might have picked up on that. There's a rhythm, he is. And it begins in verse 15. He is, that's Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Now that's not talking about something that began when Gabriel made the Annunciation to Mary. This is talking about eternity. God the Son, the second person of the Trinity. He is the one who images, or if you will, the Greek word is icon. He icons God. So even when nothing else existed, whatever the Trinity means, which is great mystery, the Son is the one who is the Son of the Father, and his job is to reveal an image and show the Father. And of course, that comes true when Jesus comes into history as well. He said, whoever has seen me has seen the Father. So what's God like? The answer. It's the Sunday school answer to every question. But this time it's right. It's Jesus. It's Jesus. Now, incarnate Jesus doesn't real reveal the fullness of everything God is because he's revealing God's character in human terms that we can understand. But he's, in a sense, in a way that's mysterious, set aside the full glory of God and all that God means. So, so we can go beyond that. But what's God's heart? What's God's character? In human terms, the way I can understand who is God, who is the Father, he is Jesus. And he's the firstborn of all creation. Here's what that means, because Paul goes on. He says, for by him, by Jesus, all things were created. In heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, thrones, dominions, rulers, authorities, all things were created through him, and listen to this, for him. Jesus is king. He's the image of the Father, the firstborn of creation. Everything was made through him. Everything was made for him. Jesus is king. Next thing it says, verse 17, and it says, and he is before all things and in him all things hold together. That's a fascinating statement. Jesus, before anything else is, Jesus is. Whether it's that which is unseen that's created, like the angelic beings, the dominions, the powers, the authorities, the hosts of heaven, or the things we see like the sun or us or wood. All of it, Jesus is before all that. Again, Jesus in eternity, God the Son, the eternal Son. He is before all things, and he didn't just make everything. That's the first thing we saw. Everything continues to exist because of Jesus. Everything continues to exist because of Jesus. Do you know that we don't just exist? Our existence is utterly dependent on the existence of God and his will. You don't self-exist. You don't exist on your own. I mean, all you do is realize, you know, 1962, I didn't exist. I mean, God knew about me because he knows all, but I didn't exist. Literally, I did not exist. So it's not hard to imagine there's a time we didn't exist. But here's the point. Your existence this very moment, every heartbeat, every circling of subatomic particles in your body, that only happens because right now, this moment, God wills it, period. 
And if he, for a split second, didn't will it, we just disappear and only God would be here. The technical language for that is God is a necessary being. He exists in himself. We're contingent beings. In other words, God just isn't another being. He's being itself. Because before anything else existed, God was. So that is existence, is God. And everything else that exists comes from him. And Jesus, God the Son, is right in the middle of all that. And so what is it? What is it that makes this cosmos, this universe, both seen and unseen, work? It's Jesus Christ. Because he's king. He is king. Let me tell you something else this also means. That means there isn't any part of life except those places where by our will we choose evil. We don't, our being isn't evil, but our will can choose evil. It's called sin. Anything that's not sin, guess who's present? Jesus. Those green beans you grew this summer in your garden, in your raised beds, Jesus was there raising them. Those leaves you have to rake up because they're falling off the trees, Jesus is present to them. The people in your life, Jesus is there. And he's the cause of all that existence. That's Jesus. He is king over all. He's king over all and he's present to all. That means, that means there isn't any part of life that doesn't come under the kingship of Jesus Christ. He's not just king over our religious life. He's king over all existence. Okay, we're just halfway done. But that's pretty amazing, isn't it? And those two he is, is the first two, those are all about creation. Both its beginning and its sustaining. But then it goes on. It goes on. And it says in verse 18, it begins to talk about not creation, but new creation. And it says this. And he, this is Jesus, is the head of the body, the church. He is the head of the body, the church. So... This is a great mystery. And, and we can just touch on it. But here's the point. Jesus isn't just the one who's in that place we call heaven. And we're kind of here a bunch of individual automatons loving Jesus. We are actually Christ's body. That's not just a metaphor. It's metaphorical language, but it's talking about a reality. It's not just saying, you know... The church is like a body. That's what Paul says in 1 Corinthians. But here, that's not what he's saying. He's saying you are, through the Holy Spirit, organically and ontologically, that means in your very being, connected to Jesus Christ. His life and your life are shared. In, in the church, they call this doctrine the doctrine of the totus Christus. You like that? Yeah, I don't really know Latin. But I know a couple Latin words. What it means is there's Christ... But the full Christ is Christ in the church, always. That's why you can't know Christ without his church, right? And the church is nothing without Christ. We are his body. We are the fullness of him that fills all in all, says in Ephesians. And so his lordship starts with us. His kingship starts with us. It's going to go beyond us, but it starts with us. And it's a kingship that affects and sources our very existence as the church. We're not just a sociological organization. We're not just a group of people who believe the same thing. 
One of my favorite Catholic bishops, Robert Barron, I says this. He goes, hey, you know, if you've had a bunch of people that love Abraham Lincoln, you can have the Abraham Lincoln Society. And you all are really into Lincoln. But you know what you can't be? You can't be the body of Abraham Lincoln. It's impossible. That won't work. He's not ascended in glory. He's not the king of kings. He's not here by the presence of the Holy Spirit. He's a figure from history we believe in. But sometimes Christians stop and think that's how it works. There's this guy in the past. We think he's alive, but he's kind of way out there and separate. We believe in him, but that's not what Paul is saying. He is in you. You are in him. That means your life is a participation in his kingship. That means your life is all about the kingdom of God. That means everything you touch is touched by the kingdom of God, the reign of God in Jesus Christ. And we exist to live under his reign and to exhibit his reign to each other and to the world. Let me keep going. I could do an hour on each point. Easy. It goes on. It says, second half of verse 18, he is the beginning the firstborn from the dead. So notice, he's the firstborn of creation. That means all creation comes from him. Now he's firstborn from the dead. That means all new creation comes from him, and it comes from his resurrection. When he rose from the dead, God was making all things new, and beginning to do that. And ultimately, all things will be made new in a way we can see. God's in process with that, and the central way he does it now is in us. He makes us new in him. And he did that so that in everything, Jesus might be preeminent. For in him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him, through Jesus, to reconcile all things to himself, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Jesus' life, Jesus' death, Jesus' resurrection establishes his kingship. In our gospel reading, it's an interesting, ironic thing going on there. If you read it carefully, you'll notice it. The, the people are mocking Jesus because they say, Hey, if you're king of the Jews, man, get yourself off the cross. And then the Roman soldiers are like, Hey, if you're really king of the Jews, get yourself off the cross. And then it says, Oh, and there was a sign that said, This is the king of the Jews. Pilate probably had it put on there to mock But I think the Holy Spirit inspired Luke as a prophetic word saying, no, actually what's going on here, what's going on here is Jesus is establishing his reign. Because through his cross, he kills all the things that keep us from being subjects of King Jesus. He kills guilt by bringing forgiveness. He kills the power of sin by defeating in his own life. He puts to death death and he conquers the devil so that through him all the things that keep us from being people who can be with God, he's conquered and he's dealt with. That's what Paul's saying. And so he is, he is the firstborn from the dead, meaning the resurrection has started. One's rose, we're just waiting for the rest of us now. But it started and that resurrection life is in you right now. When the Holy Spirit came to live in you, resurrection life came to live in you. And you share in this reality. I hope you're catching that all this amazing stuff about Jesus is kind of amazing stuff about us. Capturing that? 
And if Jesus is my king and he's the image of the invisible God, somehow I share in that. If Jesus is my king and somehow by him all things are created, somehow I share in that. And if he is the head of the church and if he's the firstborn from the dead, somehow I share in that because Jesus is king and he's my king. So St. Paul in this poem wants us to see Jesus in his majesty, his glory, his awe, and his wonder. And the church wants us to think about this because we're going to step back from this and go, let's go back in time and walk to the story on the ground. It doesn't start with glory. It starts with a poor girl hearing a word from an angel. And it starts with a baby born in a feeding trough in a stable, a cave where animals are. And yet in that is this, this very glory that Jesus we worship. Well, there's a lot of things we could say about, about the meaning for us of Christ the King Sunday, but I think it really is just this. It's the invitation to not simply recognize that Jesus is King, but to make sure Jesus is my King. To make sure Jesus is my King. But to understand that the whole purpose of our Christian life is to live under the kingship of Jesus. And so today, as as we come to the table and we we see his broken body, his poured out blood, we're seeing him establish his kingdom on the cross again. And he's inviting us to be forgiven, to be renewed, but also to say once again to Jesus, yes, yes, Jesus, you are the king of my life. So that's what I invite you to do today, to respond to the beauty and the majesty and the glory of Jesus Christ, and say yes to King Jesus today. That's the greatest meaning of Christ the King Sunday. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.